you would, please turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 13. We are looking at the conclusion of this letter, verses 11 through 14. I'm three weeks now in verse 11. So we should be able to finish these other verses up before Christmas. And I'm not done with 11 yet, so we'll get, we'll get through 11 today. If you would, please follow with me in the reading of the Holy Word of God. Finally, brethren, rejoice. Be made complete. Be comforted. Be like-minded, live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the saints greet you. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you. Father, help us to hear. Father, the love the Apostle Paul had for this church, even in midst of the pain that they had given him. And yet, Father... We here today have people who have hurt us, and yet the love of Christ should compel us. Father, help us. Help us to hear. Help us to see. Help us to be made complete, that we know the parts are there, but let us put it in order. To you, my King, my Lord, my Savior. Amen. He begins this verse, verse 11. Finally, brothers, I'm completed okay i'm completing the letter now you need to understand he started out in chapter 10 through the conclusion dealing with spiritual warfare in dealing with spiritual warfare you have to do it by sanctification okay that's the only way there's no binding there's none of this stuff casting out or running off or whatever it is that they're claiming today that is not spiritual warfare spiritual warfare is for the mind it is speculations and lofty thing raised up against the true knowledge of Christ. That is spiritual warfare. Please understand that. It ain't got nothing to do with demons and pitchforks and horns and, and all this other stuff. It doesn't mean that they don't exist. That's not what I'm saying. But let me tell you something. You ain't that important to the demonic realm. I know you like to think you are, but you're not. And here's the deal. Once you're saved, he's smart enough to understand what can I do except make you ineffective. How does he do that? Through division, through discourse, through arguments, through bitterness, things that all humans deal with. And that was what was going on in church in Corinth. Go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Chapter 1, he says, you were lacking in no spiritual gift. They had everything. So when you go to this text, you, he says, be made complete. And it literally means get the things in order. You have all the parts. Put them in order. It was an arrogant, pompous church. Okay? That was their biggest flaw. Once you step into that, you are susceptible to error. Here's what error does every single time. It appeals to your flesh. Okay? But it does it deceptively. All right? It does it in a way that lays right alongside truth. All right? And it looks like a duck. It quacks like a duck. But you know what? It ain't walking like a duck. So it's not. It's close. And I see this today in our society, in our community, where you have eloquent speakers and they don't say nothing. 
They're great storytellers. But remember this. So is Hollywood. All right. So be real careful because people can talk. And they can do it with an eloquence that is fascinating. But it doesn't necessarily. I shared with you a message that I heard two weeks ago about a guy. He claims to be a pastor, retired Marine. And he was talking about PTSD. And he did it from the pulpit. When he got done, I'm like, why would you call that a sermon? Now, listen, what he gave was good stuff. But I wouldn't call it a sermon. Let me explain to you the horrors of war. All right. But don't tell me you're going to give me a sermon. All right. But and it was done wonderfully. I don't, I don't want to downplay what he shared. But the truth of the matter is, why would you call it a sermon? Why would you take up a Sunday morning and share it? And see, what happens is the parts are there, but they're not in order. You haven't utilized it. I look at this congregation and I know emphatically the parts are there. But then I have to ask the question. Are they being utilized? Okay. And that's up for you guys. That's up to you guys. We are not lacking. But are we complete? Are we in order? So, what does in order look like? What does sanctification look like? And we started with two of these last week. The first one was rejoice. It's similar to the word you have shalom in the Hebrew. Which can be a greeting or say goodbye. But it literally the shalom means peace. Okay, the Greek phrase means joy. Okay, rejoice. I went through all the verses that deal with this word. All right. A Christian who is complete exhibits what? Joy. Joy. Not only are they complete, if all the parts are in the right places, guess what? You can't steal the joy. And it doesn't really matter what's going on. You can't steal the joy. The second thing that we looked at was be comforted. It's the verb form that we translate Holy Spirit. The comforter. Paraclete is the noun that we get the Holy Spirit from. This is parakaleo. Okay, be comforted. Be comforted. Why? Because all of the parts are there. It's an exhortation. Comfort one another. Be with one another. Be involved with one another. You should be encouraging one another. Why? Because the paraclete is with the children of God. The comforter. The counselor. The Holy Spirit of the living God. Get these parts in order, Paul is telling the Corinthians. Remember, this was a dysfunctional church. This thing was Chaos. Okay, this is also his fourth letter. And he's telling him he's going to come back again. So get this stuff in order. I want you to get it together. 
I want you to be comforted. I want you to rejoice. So let's get on with the next one. What's the next one? Be like-minded. Be committed to the truth. Listen, if you're committed to the truth, how will you be deceived in spiritual warfare? You can't be. But the brothers and sisters that I see who get shipwrecked, or thrown into the ditch, whatever term you want to use, tossed to and fro with every wave of doctrine, you know what? They're not like-minded. They haven't embraced the truth of God as the truth of God. The Greek phrase here that says, be like-minded, it literally means think the same thing. Think the same thing. You know, I have a lot of people who uh, feel it's their spiritual gift to attack me on my stance. God bless them. Because you know what? At first, I was always very annoyed at that. But then I realized that over the 20 years I've been doing this, it has solidified my stance. I mean, I may not do a lot of things right, but you ain't moving me off the book. And you can come and challenge me. That's fine. I don't care that either. But if you haven't got Bible reason to do it, your best bet is to be quiet. Okay? Because your opinion is extraordinarily valuable to you. Not so much to me. Okay? And usually when people come to me, that is the problem. Is that they have their opinion. Listen, I want you to understand something about this phrase. This is not a shallow phrase. You know, we're all in a Baptist church, so we must all be Baptists. I, I had that conversation this week. And I said, uh, what is a Baptist? And it freaked them out. <laughs> and they're like, what? <laughs> well, what is a Baptist? Okay. That isn't what this is talking about. This is not a truce. Okay. This is Isaiah saying, come, let us reason together from the scriptures okay it is not superficial if you're going to reason from the scriptures you're not just getting into ankle deep stuff i grew up in the church now you got to understand i didn't start attending church until i was in my late 20s all right so when i grew up in the church at two years ago no anyway (laughs) when i grew up The term was always this. Doctrine is divisive. I also hear this. I hear this today. Everyone has a valid opinion. Okay? Let me tell you what Jude says. Contend earnestly for the faith given once for all. Do you know what contend earnestly means? Fight to complete exhaustion. Given once for all. There should be a common understanding. A common conformity to God's word. Paul's exhortation to the Philippians in chapter 1 verse 27. Only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. So whether I come and see you or remain absent... I will hear that you are standing firm in one spirit, in one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. Okay, 
If you're going to walk worthy, there's only one way you're going to do it. Through the book. Through the book. I had a friend of mine, uh, he's got some serious health problems. My mom and my brother have reached out to him and are trying to get him saved. Okay? And uh, God bless him. God bless him. So they concluded that I should talk to him. So I said, all right, I'll talk to him. And so I call him up, and as soon as he hears me on the phone, he knows what the gig is. Okay? And he says, I want to tell you, first and foremost, right off the bat, he said, I already talked to your mom, I already talked to your brother. He said, I believe in Jesus. I said, well, that's good. I said, can you do me a favor? And he says, what's that? I said, tell me five things about him. Because you say you know somebody, I can tell you five things about you. You say you know Jesus, tell me five things about him. And he got mad at me. Okay? Listen, that's not that complicated. And when you're thinking about eternal destiny, you would better have some idea who this guy is. That's what Paul is telling the Philippians here. I want you to conduct yourself in a manner worthy. Standing firm with one spirit, with one mind, striving, working to the point of exhaustion. The word striving, there's a veterinary term. And it has to do when a horse would strain its muscle. I want you to do that for the faith. But here's the problem with us. We make up our own faith. Instead of the faith given once for all. We do have to read it. I find it fascinating that the Assyrians and the Russians and Azerbaijan are studying numbers. Have you ever read numbers? Mercy. I'm just so thankful I'm not Jewish. Lordy, lordy. There's a unity, there's a conformity. And listen, it all flows from the unity of the truth. It has to come from the truth. I told you, spiritual warfare is this simple. Truth versus a lie. That's it. I mean, how many of us know that there were three wise men? And, you know, now listen, that will not condemn you to hell. But it does tell me one thing. You don't know what this book says. God helps those who help themselves. We all know that. The great prophet Franklin. Benjamin Franklin said that. But I can, I can go on and on with all of this stuff that we know is in the Bible. And it ain't there. Okay? Now, it's no different. Now, I, I could use those two illustrations. Okay? And it's not that big a deal, all right? Those will not... Oh, okay, Ben Franklin said that instead of hesitation or anybody else. Okay? But let me tell you something. This thing started with this simple phrase. You shall not die if I eat or touch. That's not what God said. You know what Satan did? Got one. She don't know what it says. And you know how small her Bible was? 
Don't eat of this fruit. That was the Bible. And she got it wrong. Now, you can sit and say, well, you know, just because everybody thinks there's three wise men. No. That means you're susceptible. What else don't you know that you think you know? That's what he's telling the Corinthians. Get this thing together so you're like-minded. You don't run around and say, well, I'm of Paul. Well, I'm of Cephas. Well, I'm of Christ. That's pompous arrogance. And we're all prone to it. We have lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, and the boastful pride of life. See, most of us say the pride of life, but it's boastful pride of life. You know why? Because you will hear it. People with pride are heard. They want you to know. The knowledge of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is the result of spiritual maturity. Now, let me give you another one. Chapter 4 of the letter to the Ephesians, beginning in verse 11. He gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastor teachers. For the equipping of the saints, for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ. Amen. Until... We all attain the unity of the faith of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man to the measure of the statute which belongs to the fullness of Christ. That's the goal. The fullness of Christ. To who? All. All. I have a little thing over my desk. This was a gift to me. And it's my job description to make every man complete in Christ. Now, I don't know about you, but that sounds like job security. That should keep me busy this side of eternity. Paul writing to the Romans, which is ironic. The letter to Rome was written on his third trip back to Corinth. And he writes the letter to the Romans. Romans chapter 15, verses 4 through 6, 15, 4 through 6. For whatever was written in the earlier times was written for our instruction. So that through perseverance and encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. Now, may the God who gives perseverance and encouragement grant you to be the same mind with one another according to Christ Jesus, so that with one accord you may with one voice glorify God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. You see that? You can't say, well, I'm going to worship my own way. You can't do it. When believers are together, they need to heed what is written in the Scriptures. They need to heed what is written in the Scriptures. We need to be like-minded. Every one of us needs to be like-minded. How urgent is this? Chapter 3 of First 
Timothy, the whole focus of this book, 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15, In case I am delayed, I write so that you will know how one ought to conduct himself in the household of God, which is the church of the living God. The pillar and the support of truth. Brothers and sisters, that's church defined. And if you think about it, chapter 3, the first part of it, what's he dealing with? The elders of the church and the deacons of the church. He's making it clear. He's putting a standard back. Listen, I want you to understand something. This is not forced conformity. Okay? Some people, you know, I've had people leave this church and says, Well, you're not Baptist. And I'm like, Why do you say I'm not Baptist? Well, you didn't have an altar call. I have had altar calls. When the text lends itself to an altar call, I'll have an altar call. I'm not doing it before then. But I've seen people who take any text and make an altar call out of it. And that, that's always fascinated me. Okay, I don't know how to do that. If God moves in your heart, come talk to me. If he doesn't move in your heart, I'll come talk to you. All right? But I want people to understand this stuff. See, we get into it and we say we are Baptist. And so therefore, or I'm looking for a Presbyterian church. Or I'm looking for a, a, a non-denominational church. Or I'm, you know, I, have you guys ever heard of IFCA, Independent Fundamentalist Churches of America? Okay, you know why they started? <laughs> they didn't want to be in a denomination. So they started their own denomination. And, and, and I just sit there and go, well, that's silly. Why? That, it's not forcing people into, well, you need to be a Methodist. Or you need to be Episcopalian. Or whatever. That is not what this is teaching. The church is the pillar and the foundation of truth. Let me tell you something. The false call you to mindless submission. And they do it in a plethora of ways. Usually, they try to make you understand that you can't understand. Okay? That's usually, well, you wouldn't understand this. I've, I've heard him say it. I asked a question one time in a large conference. Where do denominations come from? And the answer I received, same place that the Sadducees and the Pharisees came from. And it's true today. It's true today. Even the Apostle Paul, if you'll remember, in chapter 13, verse 8, I do nothing against truth, but only for the truth. Listen, I need you to get this, to be like-minded. Churches today are following human standards. Okay? Let me tell you a, a great illustration. Psychology. Psychology is rampant in the church. I know several churches here in town who have, what do you call them people? Psychiatrists on staff. They're paid staff 
to deal with the issues that come up in the church. Okay? And they've gotten it down because now they've gotten it where they can get health insurance to pay for it. So you can go see the church counselor and your insurance will pay for it. Let me tell you something about psychology. You know who the father of psychology is? Sigmund Freud. You know, he was an atheist, a cocaine addict. But he wrote a great paper on paranoia. Well, duh. <laughs> you do cocaine, you will wake up paranoid. Okay, so you might as well write a paper about it. That is the foundation for psychology. Okay, do you realize psychology was the only science that created its own disease? Do you know what psychology means? When you see ology, it's the study of. Psycho is the soul. Really? How well are they doing with that? They're doing the same thing Adam and Eve did. Blame somebody else. You have an alcohol problem. My grandfather was a moonshiner. Well, that's where it came from. Do you see what I'm trying to get at? And yet that is immersed in the body of Christ. We had a situation here a number of years ago. A young couple were living together. She had had a child from a previous relationship. And this man that she was with was supposedly helping her and, and living with her and having his cake and eat it too. She went to work one night. He got buzzed up and killed the kid. Okay. What's ironic was they were very faithful to a local fellowship. Do I even need to begin where the problems with that is? Okay. So the pastor calls me. And he says, uh, do you know any professionals? And I said, professional laws. He says, you know, and he explained to me the situation. I said, well, I didn't know they went to church. And I said, well, what is it you get paid to do? Because technically, a believer in Jesus Christ should be a studier of the soul. Okay? He hasn't called me back. But anyway. Do you, but you see, he's, I need to get this girl to a psychologist. Really? I think she's got bigger problems than that. Even the death of a child, she's got bigger problems than that. And perhaps this is God's wake-up call. You live in inconvenience? Well, how about trying me? It has to be by the word of the living God. And you know what? I read a lot of stuff nowadays. All kinds of different goofy stuff. But it's taken me this many years that I am ground in this book. That I can read it and say, well, that's goofy. Instead of saying, well, it sounds like it's got scientific backing behind it. Really? Therefore, what? How well has man done in the, his existence dealing with the soul? It don't work. 
Let me ask you a question. How well have we done with peace? Doesn't the world seem more peaceful now? Which brings me to the fourth point. Live in peace. Live in peace. Listen, if you're really honest with yourself, you don't have to be a theologian. You don't have to be a Greek scholar. Logically, if I am rejoicing, I'm putting into order everything that God has given me. I am comforted. I am like-minded. What will the result be? Peace. You, at the moment of your salvation, have peace with God. And because you have peace with God, guess what? You have the peace of God. Or do you? Perhaps you don't. Perhaps you don't. Peace and unity would flow logically from an understanding and submission to the word of God. If I understand the word of God, then I understand his nature. I understand his attributes. I understand his ability and his power. All right. As I understand these things, how could I not have peace and unity? Submission to the word of God. Listen. There's something that we miss as Christians. Let's see if I can expose it. Romans chapter 14, verse 19. So then let us pursue the things which make for peace and the building up of one another. Did you hear what he said there? You have to pursue it. You have to pursue it. Ephesians chapter 4. Verse 3. Be diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So it's something that we have to actively partake in. But what is fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace. Why? Here's what happens. When I understand who my God is, when I understand how powerful he is, how I understand there's nothing ever can stop his minutest plan. I will have peace. Because regardless of what's going on, regardless of who hurt me, regardless of my financial position, regardless of the goofy world we live in, I know it's all right on schedule to the smallest detail. On the other hand, those who embrace error or teach error, you can see in Acts 20, verse 30, what they do is to draw away the disciples after them. And I have dealt with this. In this congregation, in my years, I have seen people who agree And yet destroy the church's unity. For whatever reason. Usually it's opinion. I had a stretch there back years ago. A few years ago. 
with psychology. I ended up with a bunch of students from Denver Sin who were all getting their quote-unquote biblical counseling. Okay, except they weren't using the Bible. And I was trying to figure out how that worked, but we used to knock heads on random occasions. The next thing I knew, they drew some away and destroyed the unity. And you keep preaching, you keep preaching, you keep exhorting, you keep praying, and it slowly all came back together again. They want to draw the disciples after them. And it's all based on human wisdom. When believers' minds are set firmly on truth, there will be peace. There will be peace. One of the great tragedies, and I've seen it in this church lately, is that people start valuing their opinion. Okay? Instead of the Word of God. And once you step into that realm, you will cause division. Because one of the things that is really cool about our opinion, we want everybody to agree with it. And it may not be this horrific error, but it's my opinion. Well, my opinion will not get you into heaven. The church will experience this unity and peace. Okay? Now remember, this is the fourth letter. This is the fourth letter. Because I want to show you how this wraps up right now. Because this is one of the most totally awesome things that has ever been revealed to me. Look what he says. Get it in order. Okay? Rejoice. Be comforted. Be like-minded. Live in peace. Now listen. If I get it together, all right, and I start doing it the way God says to do it, what happens? The God of love and peace will be with you. What a promise. With obedience, exhortation, there is divine blessing. Now, get ready. Because I'm about to step on some toes. You've been warned. If you don't want them, just go ahead and leave. You will have the presence of the God of love and peace. You know, if a person is unloving, bitter, you know what you just told me? If a person complains, you know what you just told me? If a person is exercising the spiritual gift of worry, you know what you just told me? You ain't got it together. You ain't got it together. You're not rejoicing. You're not comforting. You're not living in peace. You're not like-minded. When I see Christians who are anxious, I know that they don't have it together. When I see Christians who are more worried about someone who has offended them than they are loving the person who offended them, you ain't got it together. 
pieces are there. I've already showed you that. All the pieces are there. But if you're anxious, guess what? If you tend to be argumentative, guess what? If you don't tend to, to love with the purpose of not what you will get back in return, but because the love of Christ has compelled you, then you will have the God of love and peace present. And you know what? In this day and age, how awesome does that stand out? Show me peace and love on the nightly news. Show me peace and love in your community. Show me peace and love in a lot of churches. But the presence of God ain't there. Why? He ain't going to honor disobedience. I give you everything you need. Put them in order. Listen, the only time in Scripture that he's called the God of love is here. I find that fascinating. But... The God of peace is all over the place. Romans chapter 15, verse 33. Romans 16, verse 20. Philippians chapter 4, verse 9. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23. Hebrews 13, verse 20. So he is the source of both love and peace To obedient children. When the church pursues. Spiritual wholeness. It will experience. The powerful enriching presence. Of God. Contrast to churches. That lack joy. I've been around. Believers who lack joy. And you can always find it that they are not submitted to truth. And they struggle with unity. And they will find themselves lacking God's blessing. Now, I want to show you something. Okay? Because this is crucial. One of the reasons I talk to a lot of the pastors here in town. There is no moving of the spirit in this community. We have a lot of churches. We have a lot of people who go to church on Sundays and Saturdays and, you know, whatever is convenient for them. Okay? I see it all over the place. But you know what I'm not not hearing? People coming to salvation. I'm not hearing of any baptisms. Okay? Why not? Well, I can tell you why. They haven't gotten it together. They are not pursuing God's spiritual wholeness. They're pursuing projects, methods, programs. I mean, I hear this a lot. Well, we are studying such and such. Or we're studying such and such. Or we're going to do such and such. Really? Really? Why don't we study John? Maybe study Ezekiel. 
How about John's apocalypsis? Maybe that one. In the book of Revelations, chapter 2, verse 5. Therefore, remember from where you have fallen and repent and do the deeds you did at first or else I am coming to you and I will remove your lampstand out of its place unless you repent. You know what that means, right? I'm going to put the light out. I'm going to put the light out unless you repent. Read the church at Ephesus. Amazing church. You tested false teachers. You do greater works now than you did in the beginning. But you've lost your first love. And if you don't change that, I'm going to put the light out. Revelation chapter 2, verse 16. Therefore, repent, or else I'm coming to you quickly, and I will make war against them with the sword of my mouth. That doesn't sound like peace. It doesn't sound like peace. You saw what God did to an arrogant, boastful church, Corinth. Chapter 3, verse 3. Church in Sardis. So remember what you have received and heard and keep it and repent. Therefore, if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief and you will not know at what hour I will come to you. Now, let me ask you a question. If a thief is coming, are you going to be at peace and joy? Listen, there are churches today in Castle Rock. Who do not enjoy God's presence. Because I look. At what their emphasis is. And you think about that for a second. What are you willing. To give up for tolerance. I want to make unity. So I can tolerate what? Okay. You've got to be careful. Do not think this is above you. Because I got news for you. The church in Corinth was lacking no spiritual gift. The church in Ephesus was phenomenal. And had lost their first love. How easy is it for you to lose your first love? Read Ephesus. Listen, I want to close with this because this is the completion of sanctification. Okay, what does it look like? Well, a person who is sanctified is joyous. A person who is sanctified is comforted. A person who is sanctified is like minded. And a person who is sanctified lives in peace. And a person who is sanctified The God of love and peace is with them. And let me tell you something. This day and age, that stands out. That is so bizarre to our society right now. 
It stands out. Now, I want you to understand. It's not perfect churches. Okay. But those, if you read the text, those who pursue with a diligence. Completeness. Let's get this thing in order. They're getting it in order. You see them getting it in order. We'll be rewarded with love and peace. You know what happens? They will reach the lost. Until that happens, you and I will not reach the lost. We don't have nothing to offer them. Frantic and panic. Everybody's chasing that, ain't they? But love and peace in the presence of our Lord for those who are pursuing with diligence, completeness. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Father, thank you for the amazing work of your spirit in your people. And Lord, to think that we are lacking nothing. But Father... We're not utilizing it. Father, I pray that you lay on each of our hearts that we be made complete. The parts aren't missing, but we would put them in order so that all of a sudden we would understand the love and peace of your presence. We love you, Lord. We thank you for this word. We thank you for the repentance in the church in Corinth. And Father, we thank you for the amazing things that you're doing to each and every one of our lives, but Lord, also um, the amazing things that you will do in the future. Lord, let us trust in you, not in our sight, not in our hearing, not even in our feelings, but let us trust in you and you alone. In Christ's name, amen.